Well, hello, and welcome to the Squiggly Podcast. In this episode, we welcome Peter Sohn and Denise Reem, director and producer, respectively, of Disney Pixar's Elemental. Good day to you, all you squiggly scamps and scoundrels who've been chomping at the proverbial bit for a summary squiggly podcast. And from this trademark sunny disposition, you've doubtless deduced it as I, Ben Mitchell, that you're listening to, of course, joined by Steve Henderson. Steve, how the heck are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Yes, it's uh, it's wonderful to be welcomed in by the King of Sunshine. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking on this stuff. <laughs> How's your summer been? It's been good. I'm living in interesting times. Mm. My hair's a little greyer than it was a couple months ago, uh, for reasons that will be made clear soon enough. If you follow my socials, it's not going to be like squiggly news, but like life stuff is a happening. Uh, it's good, but it's all go. So I'm kind of juggling between that and work and trying to get the second book going. I just reached a sort of like quarter milestone deadline for that. So far, it's on track. Of course, it could all fall apart at any time. What else? That's about it. Oh, we did another BAM. That was fun. We can maybe chat about that later. Yeah, they look great. You, of course, read Annecy, the uh, the hub of animation activity. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, just about over that. That was uh, a, a, a rollicking roller coaster of, uh, of animation delights, obviously, as it is every year. Um we we turned up a couple of days late though. I mean, obviously it was fantastic. Annecy added an extra day. They added the Sunday this year. Um, but I was uh, I, I went to um, our good friend and fellow uh, Squiggly um, owner uh, Aaron Wood's wedding. So he he invited me to be his best man, which really tests a friendship. When he means that you know two days of Annecy gets knocked out, <laughs> so yeah, congratulations, Aaron and Sylvia. But come on, come on, mate, two days of Annecy, give over. Um, no, but it was lovely. It was, <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, perfect day, lovely wedding, uh, and, and obviously delighted for the pair. But um, when we got to Annecy, uh, it was just you know. It was like being parachuted in. <laughs> there was no, you know, you get there on the Sunday usually, and it's like, right, I'll get a coffee, I'll pick up my bag. It's quite quiet, you know. There's no nothing to worry about. I'll I'll leave through the brochure. Ah, right, I'm ready for tomorrow. I'll have a couple of, I'll have a, maybe a drink on an evening. Right, here's Monday. Let's go, Annecy. Let's go for it. No, it was just like go, 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 go. Like you know, straight off the straight off the plane, straight on the, you know, and we got up at. 4 a.m. to get to get the um, uh, to get the plane to uh, Geneva. Um, so straight in the cinemas from from Annecy. 12 hours later, um, but yeah, I survived and and I'm full to the brim of of you know the joy of animation just seeping out of my pores. It's amazing. You've had a hot animation injection. Oh yes, big hot <laughs> animation injection. Uh, yeah. That's one way of putting it. So what what are some highlights that can spill out for our awaiting audience? Ooh, well, yeah, I, we've um 
we've been a, we've been through this. Uh, we did a live podcast on the on the Facebook page, uh, Ryan and I. Um, so there's there's loads of stuff there. People want the 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 details. There's an hour of of me and Ryan going, yeah, oh yeah, and 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 then yeah, oh. Uh, so there's <laughs> plenty to enjoy. Um, but there's a couple of things I didn't mention on that one. A couple of things I want to go over again. Obviously, um, Nimona, the Nimona premiere. Ben, oh, mm-hmm. it's out now. I think. I think it was released on the 30th of June. So uh, if you listen to this, then you can listen to it on Netflix. Uh, unless you listen to this, you know, anywhere up to six months in the future, where Netflix just get rid of it <laughs> to get rid of streaming rights. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Nimona premiere was absolutely incredible. Uh, the film itself is marvelous, and uh, you know Ryan himself has done a fantastic review for people to have a little look at. But it is it it obviously it's a it's a mainstream Hollywood animated movie, um, or its bones are there at least. And I know why it took so long for this film to get made because of the background of Blue Sky and Disney and all that sort of uh, corporate those corporate shenanigans um, that everybody so enjoys. But. I, why this particular story, these these particular stories have taken so long to be kind of front and centre uh, of mainstream animation, at least, uh, puzzles me. But it's so good that it's finally here, and hopefully it will uh, give people the kind of impetus to make more of this type of stuff. But just to kind of, you know, link it back to Annecy, yeah, it's a great film, everybody watch it. But um, the, the premiere... Uh, and this kind of thing only happens in Annecy. It's the round of applause, the standing ovation after the film had finished. People laughing along with the film. It's like you're watching it with a studio audience. And then as the credits are coming up, and like every new job title that came up, they're all like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, production assistants, yeah, here we go, production assistants. You know, every like kind of role that came up, there were just a new like wave of like enthusiasm and feet stamping and stuff like that. <laughs> we got some great interviews coming up on the site. Obviously, uh, it was good to talk to the uh, guys from Chicken Run, uh, Dawn of the Nugget, the sequel that's coming out uh, in December this year. Uh, so we had to sit down with the director and producer. And uh, we got that interview coming soon. Um, that was a that was an interesting one, uh, where they've only released so much. Obviously, there's six months until Chicken Run comes out, and I know there's loads of you listening to this podcast know exactly what's going on with Chicken Run. Um, we've got lots of friends in Bristol, but uh, there was a moment in the in the interview, and I don't know if I'm going to edit this out or not, but I'm going to keep it in the podcast, but. I noticed that the uh, the producer was wearing a T-shirt and it had the name of uh, the bottom of, of one of the characters that they've not revealed yet. No. <laughs> and I went, who's that then? <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and it was like, all of a sudden, everybody clams up. <laughs> like, like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't pick the T-shirt with the spoiler on. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, uh, that's a, <laughs> that was a good way to, to, to cut an interview short. <laughs> I have yeah. to say that's a it's a new way to violate an NDA, like through apparel. <laughs> a big hat with the ending written on it. Yeah, <laughs> but I would assume they must have furnished them with that. So, oh yeah, it's a, it's a crew shirt. So anyone you know who worked on Chicken Run, then one of the as of yet 
unannounced characters. Mm. Um, the name, or the time of the interview at least, the name uh, is at the bottom of the T-shirt. Um, so it, it kind of it kind of gives you a, a little something, but it, you know it's going to be the I think it's going to be one of the the main antagonists of the film. So um, uh, it's not really much of a spoiler, really. Um, I suppose it's the equivalent of saying like you know Tweedy's Farm or something like that. I see. Well, all will be revealed shortly. I'm I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if not, just you know, look at people wandering around Bristol with T-shirts that give you the entire film away on you know, front and back. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the usual the usual um Annecy, Annecy highlights there as well, obviously. Um Disney were there with their their panel, which gets more and more Disney every year. Uh I think it got it was it was especially Disney this year. You know what I mean by that. Um everyone sort of, you know, cramming pixie dust down your throat as you as you're kind of watching it. You know, grabbing fistfuls of the stuff and and and, and just really cramming it down until it's uh, till your eyes are watering and um, you spit it all up. Um, but yeah, they they, they screened uh, Once Upon a Studio, which is the the short film that's going to accompany the uh, the upcoming feature Wish, which is coming out this year. Um, and this film is it's a tribute to. A hundred years of of Disney magic, um, and it's one of those kind of uh, well, actually, the words that are actually used by uh, Bernie uh, Mattinson, um, the late great Bernie Mattinson, I think, somebody who worked at Disney for over seventy years. Um, he starts the film by saying, "If these walls could talk," and then the walls talk for twelve minutes. Uh, and all the characters jump out of the pictures, and they all interact with one another, and you get to see. You know your favorite your favorite classic characters, and then ones that you just don't care about, <laughs> just <laughs> milling around and, <laughs> and and chumming around, and it's oh that guy, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, what is that 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 scruffy thing from the Black Cauldron hanging around with Cinderella? What's going on there? <laughs> you know, so it's, there's a little bit of that. Um, it's the crossover but- we've been waiting for for decades. <laughs> yeah. <they're- laughs> There is there is a little bit of that, but it's it it is a film where where they've just basically got the toy box out and tipped it over on the floor and just made their own kind of you know thing. Um, if you're a Disney fan, you're you're absolutely going to be um, overwhelmed by it. It's it it really kind of ticks all the Disney fan boxes. But if there's an ounce of cynicism about you, <laughs> then <laughs> you might you might not um, it might not gel. Uh, so to speak, but um, well, I'm not sure which category I fall into there. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to watch it and, and find that out about myself. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> make sure you let us know, Ben. That'd be be delighted to to, uh, to to hear you after you've seen the film and uh, wiping the tears of joy away from your eyes. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that's the company in Wish. Um, uh, but. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I, there's still a lot of work to be done on Wish, I think, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll get back to you when they've done it. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the things I didn't speak about on the on the video podcast was a film I saw called The Inventor, which uh, is by uh, Pixar alumni or alumnus um, uh, Jim Capabianco. Uh, he was, uh, I think, he was the story artist on Ratatouille. Uh, so he won the Academy Award for that, and it's a it's this kind of labor of love 
made by uh, somebody who's just clearly obsessed with Leonardo da Vinci. And I, I, I was kind of obsessed when I was at college with uh, with his work and and the kind of the idea of him being this uh, this 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 genius inventor and all that type of stuff. But um, uh, Jim Copperbianco and the team have made this this incredible film. Um, but he's obviously it's a he's based in LA, but he's made it in Europe. Um, so we've we found the likes of uh, people we know from from other uh, productions. I think you interviewed her at Cardiff, um, Kim Couclier. Did you? Was that right? Yeah, for the uh, Isle of Dogs thing. Yeah, um, and anyone who knows knows Kim is you know she's one of the one of the best people at stop motion in uh, in Europe, and so she she worked on the film. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, um, and then you have the likes of uh, uh, Cartoon Saloon getting involved in the two D animation. On the film as well, um, and it is a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing. It really is. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a film made for everyone, but mm. in the same in the same breath, it's a film for anyone who wants to, just kind of, open themselves up to it. I, th- I think it's fair to say, you know, that we see a lot of animated films, particularly that are made for, for everyone. And put through rigorous tests and stuff. And this is this is Jim wearing his heart on his sleeve and saying, "I love Leonardo da Vinci, and I hope you love him too." And the enthusiasm really radiates from the film, and 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 you really get it. And it helps that you have the likes of Matt Berry playing the Pope, and you know Stephen Fry, uh, and and you know Daisy Ridley. Uh, uh, who's, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have put her voice. As a as a great kind of um, uh, voice artist, but she 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 works perfectly in the film as well, um, it, and yeah, there's some there's some lovely moments in it. Um, you know, like I said earlier, on Matt Berry is this enormous pompous pope, um, and it's all done in stop motion. But the style looks like like Chigley or or Cambuit Green or Trumpton, and and it, it's. It's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. So when the inventor comes out, give it a go. Um, but I think one of my favourite things that I saw, and I, I wrote, I wrote it up on the site, um, was uh, the uh, behind the scenes or kind of uh, you know first look at Gendy Tartakovsky's fixed, mm. which oh, like just looks looks absolutely. Uh, looks brilliant it did stand out to me of the stuff that you popped up as the one that probably would have grabbed my attention the most 100 percent. i i was i it 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 certainly is now do you remember um do you remember how delighted you were by sausage party ben oh my goodness (laughs) i thought it was delightful yeah uh you know what i i will say about sausage party it wasn't as terrible as i had prepped myself for it to be yeah so that's that's my praise i'm trying to be more positive keep with the summer vibe you know but yes i think we both shared an enormous enthusiasm for that feature (laughs) but the core of sausage party i think was or i got from it was let's offend right whereas the core of this film is let's entertain Okay, and and I think that, I think that really kind of works. Um, Gendy really has, has created a film about friendship and a film about you know these kind of lovable rascally characters. Um, but 
he, he he's obviously added the fact that one of them's going to get their balls chopped off. So it's a film about it's a film about uh, uh, you know a gang of dogs, and uh, one of them still has their testicles, and they find out that in the morning they're going to get their nuts chopped off, and they go on like the 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 kind of final hurrah. It's like it's a film. It's like a stag do basically. So these these kind of uh, these these characters go and on this this kind of wild adventure and uh, and and just have absolutely you know heaps of fun. Um, but it was it was great to see the film at this stage. It's a two D animated um, R rated comedy. It's so uh, it, it it's it is animated in in that kind of Gendy Tartakovsky two uh, D style. Um, but he's really he's really gone for he's put a lot of effort into this kind of film which people will think is is crude and ridiculous but he's put a lot of effort into this kind of like making sure that when the characters are interacting they're interact you know he's, he's added rules to it and i don't know if you remember the first ever podcast the first thing we talked about ben i think was um the uh, the chuck jones rules you know what makes the 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 wily coyote and the roadrunner tick is the fact that they're grounded by rules. And if anyone messes around, it just doesn't look right. Yeah. But he's stuck to that in this film. He said that, yes, they are dogs, but that doesn't mean that they have to do human gestures. At no point will you see the hands moving like like people hands or, or anything like that. The most thing you'll get is an expression through the face. And so it's really kind of grounded. And, you know, anything that happens is happens within this world that's been carefully crafted. Um he originally weren't. Now you'll see the you'll see the the designs look great on you know the, the single teaser that they've released, but what hasn't been released is some CG um, assets because it was originally going to be a CG film, and right. God they look awful. I'm so glad <laughs> it's, I'm so glad that it's 2D as is as is the director. Um, uh, but yeah, we saw we saw loads of loads of fantastic work with this. Um, Uli Meyer, uh, the um, uh, veteran animator, uh, we saw some of uh, their work on this as well. Uh, so he he did a, a scene where uh, the main character Bull uh, is talking to um, uh, do, 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 Honey, uh, who's like this prize show dog that lives over the fence, um, and just the interaction is just really you know really great and you know fantastically animated um this is going to be this is going to be filmed for animators and it's yeah loads to look forward to yes and then just the other usual annecy stuff i think um uh i i I don't want to over (laughs) over you over analyze annecy um but there's going to be loads more stuff coming on the site in the coming weeks so um keep your eyes peeled on squiggly for that beautiful and uh circling back to the newlyweds, mm. the stag do, yeah, which uh, as best man, of course, he put together, uh, which was great fun. Not super animation-y, which was sort of a breath of fresh air, mm. but very jubilant. What's becoming, again, more kind of enmeshed with the whole animation scene is the karaoke element of it. Because mm. that's become, you know, that was part of math, it's become part of CAF. And I think now it's just like any excuse for yeah. us to just like get together and get drunk and sing. I think it's all building toward a big squiggly musical, I think is what the writing on the wall is. 
But one, I didn't, I didn't have any complaints about the evening. One note on the venue for the karaoke was that, and this is where other karaoke uh, venues have delivered unexpectedly, is um, not enough animation theme tunes in the library. Correct. <laughs> Correct. One hundred percent. I was so disappointed. Um, it, it was this. Um, it was. It was in. It was in Chinatown in um, in in Manchester, and so. Uh, I think the machines that they were using were shipped over from China. Mm. And so if you wanted to sing Tom Jones, as I did magnificently, or if you wanted to to sing Nicki Minaj, as Ben did magnificently, then you had to click on foreign <laughs> to find all of the mm. um, the music from, from, from the West, basically. These western devils singing about their pussycats and anacondas exactly exactly um <laughs> but yeah no bob the builder no postman pat yeah i was pretty good but um i didn't want to ring up and say yeah, i'd like to book a you know a, a, a room for x amount of people can i just double check do you have uh, do you have the uh, postman pat theme on uh, <laughs> on karaoke because otherwise i'm taking my business elsewhere i'm a uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll get that at math. One choice I, I thought would be more of a hit with the crowd, and it was it was one of those ones where they actually played the actual music video yeah. from the song when they have it on on like file. Um, usually, it's just like miscellaneous visuals and the words at the bottom. Uh, but one of the, one of the ones I picked was Sledgehammer, which I've always deeply associated with the animation universe. But surprisingly, didn't quite get the toes tapping. Everyone was just really staring at the music video <laughs> intently, <laughs> internally rattling off all the trivia they knew <laughs> to themselves about it. I turned around to Mike and I was like, it's the bit with the chickens. That's the bit that Nick Park did, yes. <laughs> like, it's, like, oh, is it? Really? Oh, well, it's I, coming up. You know, I think this bit here was, uh, yeah, this bit This bit here was, um, you know, Richard Starzak. And I think this, uh, you know, he lay on his back for however many hours a day. And uh, yeah, this bit here was, oh, God. <laughs> Ben, could you stop singing? We're trying to <laughs> we're trying to dissect this here. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, it was all uh, frightfully good fun. Well, we will probably do karaoke next at Math toward the end of the year. I understand there's a bit of news from the Math camp that uh, I dare say is a bit of a win for the animation festival scene in general. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty chuffed about this. Um, we uh, we put in an application to the uh, Academy Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences um, for us to be uh, an Academy qualifying festival, uh, which means uh, that the the winner of our short film award um, will uh, be eligible to enter the short film competition uh, for the Oscars. So if you your film wins at Math, then obviously it's a it's a shortcut to the the Oscars long list, uh, which is yeah we're we're pretty chuffed with, um, and yeah I was I was surprised to find out that how few, um, it, how few festivals and events in the UK are actually represented. There's uh, something in, like six in total, and that includes the Baftas. So you know for math to get there. I'm pretty chuffed, but you know, for an animation festival, uh, an animation specific festival to get there, uh, you know, UK one wasn't there already. Uh, I'm pretty delighted as well. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a nice little feather to have in the cap. So, um, 
uh, yeah, that's yeah. Thanks for thanks for nudging me for that. Well, my understanding, because we have kvetched about this subject as we are wont to do, <laughs> yeah, uh, on the podcast, was that there was a bit of snobbery, perhaps perceived, maybe around festivals that are animation specific, uh, as though they're sort of less than. Was that? Am I remembering that right? I think you might be thinking of another uh, uh, award ceremony. But um, yeah, yeah, I th- yeah, maybe, hmm. maybe. I think so. My, what have my gripes been over the years about the Academy? And the, <laughs> you know, them, before they've only just given us a listen to this and they'll take it off us. Um, but I think uh, the complaints were along the lines of um, uh, for the Academy when I saw the long list because you can get on the long list by a by a theatrical uh, screening in LA. I think it is. Uh, then that gives you a kind of uh, a shortcut to it. And then you have to win at specific festivals. And I, I looked at the list and saw that there were none from the UK. There were no animation festivals from the UK who had applied to it or uh, had been accepted to it. Um, so obviously we decided might as well, um, you know, show, show uh, at least have a go, shall we say. Uh, again, the UK on the list as well, but yeah, I think my 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 that complaint was from um, uh, the other complaint that you mentioned was was BAFTA. Uh, they never used to have, um, or they don't at the time of recording, um, uh, animation festivals as qualifiers for their animated film. For you have to submit your film uh, as you would to a festival to BAFTA, and this is me telling everybody that if you have a film. You can submit your film to BAFTA for free in around October time, I think it is. So I would encourage all filmmakers to do that uh, whilst they don't have animation festivals as their kind of qualifying um, uh, means of qualification as the, the Academy does. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's two, two very different systems. Uh, which is unusual. Different academies. Two different academies, different systems. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, plenty of complaints if people want to go back through our back catalogue. It depends. <laughs> depends on the time of day we recorded, whether we'd had our tea, whether we were in a good mood, whether the sun was shining. It always used to fascinate me, you know, actively kind of having films out there, what the festivals were that kind of qualified you mm. because it, you know it's 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 not completely arbitrary but there are some where I'd be like, oh really that one okay and you know especially when it came to the baftas because they they would be you know again not animation specific but some of them didn't necessarily seem like ones that were that big a deal but you know there is, I, I assume, still they keep it updated on the BFI website, like a list of of qualifying festivals where you don't even have to win; you just have to be selected. And then there are festivals where it like half makes you eligible. So if you get into a second one that also half makes you eligible, then you can submit. Which I always thought was a bit like, all right, yeah, <laughs> we have to do this in fractions. <laughs> <laughs> I did occasionally. I think there were two films since discovering that because I haven't been like churning them out. But there were two films that I did actually submit just because this would annoy so many people (laughs) (laughs) if one of these actually got nominated. And then there have been films that were nominated during that period where I'm like, yeah, that's just as annoying as either of my films would have been. So, you know, good for them. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, maybe, I mean, maybe this will perhaps pave the way a little bit for BAFTA to cut the nonsense and, and start acknowledging that there is more to animated filmmaking than certain universities and certain American studios. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. You know, um, it would be, it would be nice, uh, for the, you know, the, the best British animation short, uh, to, to kind of reflect that kind of festival scene. Um, but, uh, yeah, time will tell. Uh, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled on that one, I think is, uh, is, is one for me to say. Um, and is, uh, math still open for entries? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Get your entries in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So math still open for entries until July the 28th. Um, so, uh, submit, 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 uh, people on the newsletter, there's a, there's a discount for, uh, for entries as well. So if anyone wants to submit the films, um, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a code, uh, what's the buzz all in capitals. So, um, yeah, get your film submitted. Um, that's like a 50% discount thing. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it feels, it feels like an exciting time and it feels like people are paying attention to animation. They're not scared of the word animation. So when they see animation festival or animated film, or they're not, afraid to to do something about it and i think a lot of it is down to the the work that um guillermo del toro did last year now i'm not saying that the work that people like us have been doing for years uh griping and griping and basically saying exactly (laughs) the same thing brad bird since you know he started working in animation screaming uh animation is not a genre um, but there's something about the way that Guillermo del Toro has said it. Um, famously. Famously. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Oscar's already under his belt, I think, is the way. Um, uh, uh, that struck a chord uh, with with a more kind of mainstream uh, audience. And it's interesting to see people uh, are talking a lot more about animation and about what animation can do. It's also deeply irritating uh to see uh i don't you're not on twitter anymore ben i don't think anyone's on twitter anymore there was a big uh big hoo-ha yesterday or you know uh, earlier on in the week about um uh what what musk had done again on twitter uh in his kind of it's like i think elon musk is is he must be doing like for twitter like some kind of like website version of brewster's millions where he has to just destroy, <laughs> like, just get rid of everything that was good about. Instead of spending the millions of dollars, he's got to just get rid of all the followers, get rid of all the people that cared um, about the website. Um, it, there must be something in it for him. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. Um, but I had a little bit of a gripe on uh, about a, a particular article uh, that it was Signe Bauman that shared. Um and it was uh, I'll just I'll just fold it onto you because I don't think you'll have seen it. Uh, and she didn't share it to agree with it. I will state as well. Um, and it's called uh, it's called Why Aren't There More Adult Animated Movies? Question um, mark. And boy, did it boil my piss, Benjamin. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's oh man, I don't know. I think it's. It's you know it's great that the conversations have started. 
However, for for people to go in gung gung ho and say, why aren't there more adult animated movies? Have you tried fucking looking? <laughs> like, have you, like, have you tried opening your eyes? Um, any, it might, it, that might be me being a little bit of a snob because, um, I, I know I am when it comes to animation and things, but, um, but we've, we're, we're deeply ingrained in the animation scene, Ben, aren't we? We, we can quite easily rattle off plenty of animated movies that would fit this description. Um, but it, it, they're not that difficult to find, are they? I think it's that people, they'll find a very mainstream example of it. Mm. And those are, are, are relatively rare. But they will feel as though they've encountered something, some kind of like, you know, hidden gem, some hidden treasure, like Sausage Party. Mm. Or, you know, I think even something like Anomalisa would have been sort of an equivalent back when it came out of like, you know, oh my God, this this film by an incredibly famous director with much more kind of visibility and by way of marketing. What a, what a, what a gem I've discovered. <laughs> <laughs> Me, this cinephile, this explorer of the lost realms of animated cinema. And so I think that they, yeah, they, they, their actual knowledge of it is very limited because they're not actively looking for it. And the, the grim truth of it is you do sort of have to look for it. But I, it's, it does sort of like not irritate me, but it kind of makes me roll my eyes a bit when people talk about like, you know, Oh my God, I've seen this, this incredible like thing that flew under the radar. It's Marcel the shell with shoes on. <laughs> oh, the A24 film. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest fucking brands in filmmaking there is at the moment. <laughs> Indie. Like, I guess technically, yeah, it is. But it's like, there's so much else that's been going on for so long. It makes me happy that the people out there like, you know, Don Hertzfeld get as much attention as they do. It annoys me that they don't get the kind of attention that, you know, certain other films that are kind of floating in that limbo between mainstream and indie tend to get. Mm. But yeah, when it comes to sort of adult animation it definitely seems to kind of live in that world also the other problem is like especially when it's like american there's a bunch of stuff that's just not very good yeah like i've seen some adult you know u.s made comedy features um and short form series and things like that event series they're just like oh this is a bit cringe sophomoric perhaps mm. And I, you know me, I don't blush too violently at a dirty joke. I can just about muddle through my mm. delicate sensibilities. Oh, there was an adult animated series from the wonderful people who brought us Sausage Party that we talked about last Christmas or the Christmas before, and it was about Santa Claus, and it was all the, the renegades of the alternative comedy scene, Sarah Silverman <clears throat> and the rest, just saying, fuck and fuck and fuck and fuck, but they're, they're cute Christmas elves. What <laughs> puckish subversion. You know, what boundary-pushing, straining adult animation that we are seeing. My God, it's like South Park Reborn. <laughs> And of course, it didn't do well because it was shit. It, <laughs> it was low effort, mid, like, you know, oh, let's just have cute things swearing yeah. and making jokes about, I don't even remember. It was There was something about wokeness or not wokeness or those words du jour that are already pretty fucking hackneyed. <laughs> like, woke doesn't mean anything anymore. It's like when people say 1984. Like, it's just phonemes that come out of their mouth based on something they think they maybe kind of know what it means. 
they think they're making some kind of reference, but they're actually making the opposite point if they have actually read the book or looked at the origins. I know, it's just, just like 1984, the book I've never <laughs> read. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did you share this uh, article link? I, yeah, I, I shared it. Uh, I just I just sent it to you. And what, exactly what you said there about people plucking Anomalisa out, it, it's, it's in the article. It's right, like, okay. Anomalisa, you guys, uh, you want to check this out? Oh, strokey chin, strokey chin. <laughs> um, it's, it's, um, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I, and as you were speaking there, you were saying like, you know, um, you mentioned Don Hertzfeld and, it made me think. Oh, well, Mary Max and and things like that. And I thought, I tell you what, I'll just I'll just quickly search this article to see if I am being too harsh on it, and see if it did mention Mary and Max. Did it? Eckers like, oh, as it mentioned Don Hertzfeld. No, these they're pretty easy to get hold of. They're pretty easy to find. You go to any top one hundred anime. If you're writing an article like this, you go to a top one hundred animated list and you filter out the Disney and the DreamWorks no. and the Pixar. And then you look what's left. Yeah. And then you go, oh, Studio Ghibli. They can be for adults. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's it, it, and, and that's just what this person's done, but they've not bothered putting in, you know, Mary and Max or any of that stuff. But the thing that they could have done as well, which, which is deeply frustrating, if you are going to stand on the pedestal and say, you know, adult animated movies, why not say adult animated movies? Here they are. Yeah. These are the, you know, these, here's five titles that have been released in the last, you know, year, 18 months, um, something like that. And, or, or are playing at theaters or playing at, at festivals or whatever, get stuck in. You know, why not talk about Flea? Why not talk about, you know, basically, because they're not watched them. Yeah. Presumably. Anyway, it just, yeah, it just winds me up. I think it's something that kind of differentiates a little bit what we have always done at Squiggly that's different from, I think, a lot of other blogs and magazines where Mm. an article will be developed and pitched or a concept will be put out for writers to, to pitch for, things like that. And then that article will be researched kind of from scratch by the journalist writing it up. Uh, putting the editorial together. I'm not saying that's what this journalist has done. I ha- like I haven't read the article yet, but I do find that a lot of articles I read about, like you know, my industry, are frustrating for that reason. Is that they began their journey into this subject on the sort of first day of actually writing the article or pitching it or like coming up with a concept for a piece. Whereas when we put editorials up on Squiggly, it comes from a place of passion that has been on the minds of the people writing what it is they're talking about for a little while. Mm. And I think that we've seen a bit of an uptick in that because of some of the newer writers we've had, people like Martin and Ryan and uh, Mel. They put together some really, I think, quite thought-provoking pieces about what's going on in industry at the moment. And some of it is speculative, some of it is just kind of theorizing, but all of it has been coming from a sincere place. I feel like, you know, I think that's sort of the the vim and vigor that we always kind of had when we were starting was sort of, yeah, we're animation nerds and we want to dump this nerddom out into the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got uh, a fountain. Whether it is like, you know, industry insight or the politics of the industry or just reviewing something with more of a kind of base of knowledge and a frame of reference for what that product's place will be in the zeitgeist of animation to come, how it ranks against stuff that's come before that sort of thing and you get i think 
I'd like to think people get a bit more out of reading stuff like that than just, you know, your average kind of 500 word review of some animation film that they see in The Guardian and it's someone who perhaps resents having to do the review or uh, doesn't quite get why they're bothering or, you know, you can just tell there isn't this kind of like, it's really, I'm a critic, this is what I do, this is my job, this is a passing thing in my field of vision and the moment it leaves my field of vision i'm going to move on to the next thing yeah and it's not going to be a concern of mine you're absolutely right i think you know um let's kiss our own ass we're bloody fantastic but if we start doing it maybe other people fucking finally get the well, message yeah. <laughs> and hop on board the squiggly train for christ's sake <laughs> there's plenty of room <laughs> but yeah no I, I can i can see that kind of thing being irritating it, it, it's the thing is also audiences tend to have a bit of a limited capacity for how much information they're going to be willing to absorb <laughs> from an article like that. Or for, you know, it's sort of like, you know, animation to a lot of people, it could be something that they're, you know, passionate about, but there'll be a kind of limit or it'll be like animation of a certain kind, mm. a certain type of show, a certain territory that makes the animation, a certain genre within animation that they gravitate toward. Uh, some people only like Disney movies. Some people only like Ghibli movies. You know, it's it's interesting talking, especially with people who work in animation, just how hard the the sort of boundary lines are drawn around what they'll tolerate as far as animation goes. Like, you know, people, they'll, they'll love the animation they love, but there'll be kind of a limit to how much they're going to have it be a part of their lives because they got other stuff to do with their lives. I think that's the case with us, to be honest, mm. with you and me. I think that by virtue of Squiggly, we we are a lot more plugged into animation and we have a much more kind of uh, expansive knowledge of the sort of ever-shifting landscape because that's just sort of the circles we run in and the the information that we're kind of given daily, you know, in our inboxes. So I think that we have a much kind of wider sort of view of the of the vista mm. of animation. Uh, but if I really think about how, like, honestly, outside of Squiggly, outside of the work I do, in my kind of like life, where do I go for entertainment? Do I am I constantly drip feeding myself all animation movies and series all the time, or is it just that every once in a while something will come along that really kind of excites me, and that'll be in amongst a mix of you know, a whole bunch of live action stuff or stuff that isn't even films or television. It's animation enthusiasm is kind of compartmentalized, I think, within me. Like, it's a few different facets. It's the, the part of me that works in animation that is excited about what is happening in the industry, the advances that we're making, as I said before, the people that I know and what they're doing and how they're progressing, what's especially gratifying about seeing changes made as a direct result of the work that I do or am peripherally involved with. Then there's animation as entertainment. And so that is a kind of like 50-50 split of like, okay, what am I aware of is going on through squiggly and through like watching people's reactions to things like, Oh, this is an amazing show. This is an amazing film. Look at the reaction it's getting. Mm. That's great. That's good to know. It's as important to see what people are like, you know, attaching themselves to and where we're going from here. And then there's like, okay, what do I actually find entertaining? And that's a whole separate thing. There are times when it's not a big part of my life outside of squiggly there. are I don't have animation shows on the go. 
especially often. A lot of them just aren't very good after the first few episodes. <laughs> you know, I, I want them to be. There are some that I think, you know, uh, have incredible potential and sometimes they just lose their way a bit or more often than not, Netflix or whatever network they're initially on loses faith in them. So they either get cancelled or they get moved to another network where they don't quite find their footing again. You know, there's stuff that I kind of like that seems to do better than it should. Like, I don't quite understand why Big Mouth has been as on as long as it has <laughs> versus a lot of other shows. Like, I don't really dislike Big Mouth the way a lot of other people do. I think it's got enough kind of gags in it to kind of make it bearable in mm. spite of the design style, you know? But I don't get why it's been on for seven years, <laughs> you know, when something like, uh, what was uh, a Dead Endia that looked like it had a lot of potential. Tuca and Bernie, things like that. that, Yeah. And they just kind of, yeah, just didn't take flight. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, factors kind of whirring around um, when it comes to like how I personally sort of interact with animation. Now, when it comes to sort of like reading about animation from other sources, I would say I also have some pretty hard limits there. I, I don't think I could read about animation every day, you know, from other magazines or like in, in books. I love to when, you know, a, a, an interesting article comes along or an interesting book comes along. You know, there's a couple of books coming out this year that I'm really looking forward to reading. But it's it's not like that's all I can read. Mm. And I think that that's something to to kind of bear in mind is I think that the, the way that media is distributed, uh, it's that it's in place for a reason it's because of how readers and audiences consume it yeah and so that creates this sort of structure that we're a little bit unfettered by it squiggly we don't have these hard word count limits we don't really shackle uh, what people want to write about or talk about with you know strict editorial guidelines we're not doing it for metrics in the same way that other websites are because of I really, because of how we sustain ourselves, I think we have a bit more freedom. We can turn things down if they're ethically dubious. Like, think if someone wanted to offer us money and we didn't agree with that company's principles, we could say, no, we don't want to do this, you know, because mm. we don't need it. So we're a bit of a unique beast in that respect. But yeah, I, uh, there are some websites on the, that you know, deal with film and television that you see the article headline and you'll see the content of the article and it's so fucking low effort and like, it does that thing where it just doesn't get to the fucking point. Yeah, like yeah. the intro is like paragraph after paragraph and you're scrolling down. Wait, I'm doing the thing it wants me to do. What the fuck? <laughs> I know how this shit works and I'm still doing it. The fuck has got me again. So yeah, I, I appreciate the, uh, the, the boiling of one's piss at such a thing. But uh, It's also a good reminder, obviously, you know, the fact that uh, as you, as you were kind of alluding to there outside of, outside of our, our kind of, our, our world, uh, deep animation is deeply ingrained. You know, we wouldn't have the lives that we have without animation. It's fair to say, you know, meeting our uh, our partners, our wives at, at, at animation festivals and all that sort of stuff. You know, without it, we wouldn't be where we are today. However, you know, in our in our um, in our day to day lives, you know, we're just as guilty as anyone else uh, to to kind of not say, "I'm going to sit down and watch Flea because I enjoy it." You know, it's 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 not that type of you know we don't we don't live those types of lives. So yeah, thank you for exposing the fact that 
I'm basically somebody saying, sitting there and going, why doesn't everybody paint Games Workshop figures? Why everybody should be, it should be <laughs> mandatory for everybody to do Games Workshop. <laughs> That's what I'm doing, but saying everybody should know about animation. <laughs> Something like that. I will say we're, we're still definitely to the, the layperson. Yeah. We're both massive animation geeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, the fact that I, I literally own some animation films on physical media in 2023, yeah. that would creep people the fuck out. <laughs> but yeah. You no, know, it's actually kind of puts me in mind of another thing that occurred to me about like our world crossing over into the world of the normies. <laughs> Yeah, and um, in in other news from what we've been talking about, and in like the actual news, the non animation news, the big all consuming thing that like became kind of a, a bit of a gross like moment for humanity. But these guys who you know went down in that submersible, oh yeah, big social media phenomenon, weirdly, and it just got a bit icky. A lot of news coverage. James Cameron has to pipe up. Really, sort of weirdly, Mike Reese appears yes. in the news coverage. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that yeah. was part of his, like, I don't know, his, one of his little kind of non Simpsonsy sojourns is that kind of underwater adventuring. Yeah. But it was jarring to, like, encounter someone outside of, like, a, a DVD commentary from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, why are you talking about the critic? It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was I found that, I found that incredibly weird. They were saying, you know, explaining who Mike Reese was, and I'm like, I don't know who Mike Reese is. What are you talking about? Like, why, why, are you, why are you dumbing it down for me? I know Mike Reese. Oh, okay, yeah, people won't know who Mike Reese is. <laughs> but it kind of got me thinking. Like, there's been a kind of uptick in animators being spotted in the wild, mm-hmm. like outside of the confines of you know animation. And I think historically, you know, we've been keeping ourselves hidden. <laughs> as is the way of things i don't know maybe it's 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 not like a new thing but i feel maybe i'm just tuned into it a bit more but just sort of animation people just kind of appearing in like other media mm. and probably most recently in the uk we had a whole thing with the great british menu mm. where it was like animation and illustration themed so then you get people judging the food and it's Peter Lord. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and um, Susie Templeton shows up at one point. I'm like, oh, that's, that, A, that's really interesting because I, I haven't seen her in forever. Mm. Like, I've only ever actually met her once. I haven't seen her on TV in a long, long time. Uh, but that she's on the great British menu. Like, that's what brings Susie Templeton back into the, the, the lives of the British public. I thought was kind of fascinating. I actually found that kind of reassuring that there was a kind of, it indicated a certain, you know, interest in animation and illustration from the general public. People seem to get a kick out of it. Uh, a few months before that, watching The Apprentice. And uh, the great thing about The Apprentice is, like, when they have those, like, creative challenges, and Lucy from Ardman shows up at one point <laughs> to, like, review their shit animation <laughs> that they've made for their shit app, or it's a pilot or something. And there's something wonderful about watching non-creative people eat their own dick. Because <laughs> they think they're creative, and especially on The Apprentice. Like, you know, they did, like, a painting, you know, in the in kindergarten that their mum put on their fridge, and they think they're fucking hot shit in the creative <laughs> industry. And they'll just... It's so astounding how, like, 
a tri- like when you think of like the worst films that get sent to film festivals <laughs> or the, the students who just can't get to grips with just what form and function of animation is and just aren't going to cut the mustard in the way that some of their peers will, sadly, but it's just a grim inevitability of life. Mm. All better than anyone who's ever been on The Apprentice who says that they're creative. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and so to watch an actual for real animator like Lucy is and completely chew them out was one of the most gratifying televisual <laughs> moments <laughs> of the season. I've not watched The Apprentice in years. Are they still called, like, Team... Lightning Dynamo and Team Always Brilliant and things. I think maybe because they're always different teams each week, like they mix it up. Yeah. I I have to kind of limit my exposure to it because it's a, there's a point where it's an entertainment and then there's a point where it's just aggravating. Yeah. But there will occasionally be, it'll usually be like with an app or something or a website where they need a bit of animation doing and yeah. they get some poor prick in who will actually have to do the animation but to their specs. <laughs> and like, that must be such a, a, a double-edged sword of like, oh, we're an animation studio and the apprentice have called and they're going to w- have us do animation for their competition. This is fantastic exposure for the studio. And then the dickhead comes in. It's like, <laughs> okay, so it's going to be an egg with bunny ears and it's going to be teaching us all about sharing. So, yeah, animate that. <laughs> they'll do some like, sh- shitty, incomprehensible, like drawing on a post-it note or a napkin. And this poor guy's like, oh no, this will be the death of us. <laughs> to the people, maybe there are people listening to this who have, you know, their studio has been blighted <laughs> by association with some of the imbeciles on The Apprentice. There is support out there. We'll get through this. <laughs> you know, you'll find your way back. But yeah, there were a couple of others. Like a, a little while ago, I remember um, Bexy Bush, mm. who was around a lot because she had that NFTS film, Men to Make Do, that did really well. She showed up on a competition show. It was about like making miniatures, like uh, miniature models and furniture and things like that. Danny Bowman, who uh, Martin's talked to a couple of times on the site. I saw her in a thing on Netflix. It was a bit like The Undateables, a kind of like dating show for people on the spectrum. So that was kind of interesting as well. I was like, oh, she's been on Squiggly. But the one that really like, and I'm, I still don't know the full story of this one. The one that really kind of threw me. We're watching this Netflix documentary series that I think it's that sort of overdone genre of Netflix documentaries next to ones about serial killers, but the ones about con men and master manipulators. Yeah. And this was a series called Bad Vegan. Uh-huh. And I don't really remember exactly the premise, but it was like a woman who has a vegan restaurant and her partner is kind of, you know, uh, uh, very duplicitous, perhaps. At least her account of things is that he's duplicitous, but people think that maybe she was in on it, but maybe she wasn't. And to be honest, it wasn't one of the better series. Like, I just mainly found them both pretty irritating. And the people who I felt bad for were the employees in this restaurant. But there was, like, this contact that the, the woman's partner had who was, like, I think a kind of, like, financial intermediary or someone who kind of crunched numbers or maybe he was a website guy but this mysterious person in this guy's life um and they're not quite sure if he even exists and so then they finally get him to sit down in front of the camera and it's david o'reilly what like (laughs) exactly like (laughs) but it's like he sits down and he's like yes i'm tim mcfadden it's like no you're not (laughs) 
I know what you look like. I've, 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 you know, I've met you multiple times. <laughs> I'll see if I can find the actual name um, of of who he's pretending to be, but it gets a bit like Andy Kaufman-ish because <laughs> like there was a lot of kind of social media hubbub of like people sort of posting stills like on online like that's David O'Reilly, right? <laughs> like, like yeah, oh yeah. So so he shows up as Will Richards, Anthony's associate. So a couple of days later, after this, because this show, you know, f- doesn't go super viral. It's not like making a murderer, but it, it was talked about for quite a while. So a few days later, David O'Reilly puts up a social media post <laughs> saying, I need to make a public statement. Over the last few days, I've received many messages about a documentary on Netflix called Bad Vegan. Apparently, a person named Will Richards, who looks and sounds like me, appears in this movie. I finally had the chance to see it last night and was stunned by the resemblance. (laughs) It would appear I have a doppelganger. Perhaps Netflix can connect me with this person. I had no involvement with this production, and I am not an actor. This is a shock to me. (laughs) So he's completely committed to, like, this isn't David O'Reilly. And to, as far as I'm aware, this was about a year ago. As far as I'm aware, he's never actually gone on the record as saying whether or not it was him. Yeah. Like, it's him. This is weird. But I remember, like, as as he sort of shows up at the end of one episode. And, like, he, uh, David O'Reilly also has a very distinctive voice. Like, he has one of those mid-Atlantic accents, a bit like me, where it's kind of, like, British a bit and Canadian a bit. He's sort of, like, a, a bit North American, but also quite Irish in his accent. So as soon as he talks, it's it's a very distinctive voice that he has and a quite distinctive tone to his voice as well, uh, which is sort of beside the, the point, considering the main point, it's David O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> even if he was putting on a completely different accent, that's, that's clearly who it is. So that was the weirdest one. So I don't know if there are going to, if this is going to be indicative of a surge of more animators nudging their way into um, the wider world of uh, film and television and shows and just normie culture. We'll see, <laughs> I guess. Well, or, or just or winding the way and then then just denying that they were <laughs> that's actually there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a that's an that's an odd case. Maybe that's a that's a case for another Netflix documentary. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's. A, Weird, uh, uh, weird goings on in the uh, the world of uh, uh, you know front and center animation peoples. Um, what's next on the on the kind of carousel of news and, and current affairs, Ben? Well, I think that going back to sort of stuff that I, I feel excited about, and I think that there'll be more in terms of like features. Maybe by the time the next podcast rolls around. Uh, I did note that the new episodes of Futurama are not that far away. I saw a new trailer for that. Here's the thing, though. I don't think I ever watched all of the last batch of Futurama. (gasps) I did a big rewatch during COVID from the beginning. And I think that I kind of fell off around the same point that I fell off when it was originally on. And it was definitely the very last kind of batch. It probably would have been the last season. So maybe like 2012, something like that. I'm not really sure when it ended last. Yeah, it was, it was around then. A lot of the old ones held up. Absolutely. The ones that were like kind of movies that then became sort of like movies cut up into episodes mm. weren't so good. Like they got, they were harder to kind of like stay 
like invested in. But some of those old ones are so fucking funny. Yeah. So I, I kind of, it, it's weird to sort of be excited about new episodes of a show, which I'm not actually caught up on. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's a weird thing with shows that kind of like are around for a long time and they have these reboots and their different iterations. Futurama, I think it, it definitely looks a lot more consistent with how it basically always looked. Mm. Like other than those first few seasons, which were perhaps sort of right at the end of like the nineties. So still had that kind of slightly shonky quality to them, I guess. But I think by, it wasn't long into the run where it kind of had this pretty uniform style. Yeah. But it's an interesting one. Like I talked, I think on the last podcast or maybe a couple of podcasts ago about like how surprised I was with this newer reboot of Beavis and Butthead, which given that the, the last reboot wasn't that great, I didn't really have much expectations for. And the new ones have been really funny. Like mm. they did a second season and they're great. It's an interesting one with Futurama, and it kind of it put me in mind of like a little experiment I might do, which I'll get back to in a sec. But as far as I'm aware, there's no reason to like think the new Futurama will be bad. I feel like the last time they did it, it was generally pretty good. It's nice to hear those voices again, you know? Yeah. I have a, a kind of renewed appreciation for Billy West, who I've always liked, but I did um sort of contracted thing for Wild Brain a little while ago where I had to watch a lot of archival footage of a certain show that would have been pretty insufferable, except he was one of the main voices in it. And he's just very appealing to listen to. He just does a lot of just really interesting, fascinating things with his voice. And it's nice that how much it reminds me of other stuff he had done. So it kind of took the not very good show. It kind of gave it a bit of a sort of extra quality to it that made it more bearable. So that's a good thing if your performance can elevate what you're in. Yeah. But I haven't, I feel like he hasn't been a lead in something in a while. And of course, Futurama, he is basically the main characters, you know, obviously Bender and some of the others, but you know, he does a big crop of the major ones. I was playing actually, I don't, you have a Switch, right? Uh, I, I, I look over my wife's shoulder when she's playing uh, Zelda. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been waiting for them to make a new Mario Kart for about 20 years and they oh, haven't. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I bought like a, a kind of cheap Nickelodeon knockoff Mario Kart. Like it's not nearly as good as Mario Kart, but it was on sale for like a tenner. So it's Mario Kart basically, but with Nickelodeon characters. Right. So that had, you know, people from the actual shows doing the voices, you know, when you get, when they get hit by the objects or whatever, or they fall off a thing. And among them was Billy West doing Ren and Stimpy, but pretty out of practice. Like Ren is, Ren is hard. Yeah. To do, I think. And especially as he's, he's getting up there in age as well. I think he's in his like sixties or seventies now. It yeah, probably yeah. takes a lot of, of like energy to kind of get that going. But that was kind of a weird comforting thing to sort of like hear an approximation of those characters and also some of the other characters. Game was not good. To be honest, it just kind of, it didn't really fill that hole <laughs> of waiting for a new Mario Kart. But you know, they, uh, they, I, was surprised they went to the effort of even getting the people to do the voices. It's funny. I saw a thing actually with Billy West. It was like a vanity fair. They do this thing of like career retrospectives with actors. Um, like these are the, the 10 films that define my career. And so they did one with Billy West and it was like, you know, the 10 shows. And, uh, of course the first one has to be Ren and Stimpy. And he told the same story. I think he told on our podcast about like how he got that job and, how he was always meant to be both of them. And then it was initially just Stimpy and blah, 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 blah. Uh, 
as he's telling the story, it's cutting back and forth between him and clips from the show. It's all clips of John Kreese for Lucy as Ren. Oh, <laughs> they didn't no. do any fucking research whatsoever. It's just from, and it's one of the episodes I knew backwards as a kid. Like, no, this is not Billy West doing the voice. Oh, uh, I imagine that must have been quite irritating if he saw that back. Like, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have picked one where I'm actually playing the character, you dick. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm I'm yeah. I'm excited for Futurama. I I, I have actually started yeah. rewatching to obviously it's been a while, um, and I I'm, I'm a few episodes in it. See, I just I didn't go from the beginning, but I went from season seven uh, to because I think I watched the last new ones once, um, 2012, 2013. Um, and there was one uh, farewell to arms, which is not a. You can remember Futurama by the gags, the memes, and you can sometimes remember it by like the high concept as to kind of what's going on. Every episode's got something, you know, big and crazy going on. Uh, but this one, it manages to kind of, and it's written by um, uh, Josh Weinstein, the, uh, you know, uh, Simpsons alumni and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it just crams so many gags into. Hmm you know, this story where Mars almost collides with the Earth and and it, there's a solar flare and, you know, at the same time, Fry and Leela are having this kind of romantic kind of uh, moments and it just, and everyone, every line kills and it all bounces off off one another and there's not, there's payoff and there's, it's just this web of hilarity. It's just, yeah, so dense and rich of, concept and idea and um you know twists and turns and stuff it's just yeah it's some of the best television when it's when it's done right and when it's when it's spot on like some of the very best um mm. uh, uh tv out there um and what i always love about futurama was the fact that they play with the kind of big science concepts um you can tell that they picked up a you know or you know the the people who write it just absolutely love science. So they did an episode where Bender gets to 3D print mini versions of himself. I can't remember what season that was. <laughs> um, but it was like a kind of... Um, and it was a take on the grey goo fear. And the fear is that somebody will create a nanobot that will be able to alter um, matter to, to replicate itself. So mm. if you got one on you, it would basically dis- you would dissolve into nanobots, and and they call it grey goo because it would just eat and eat and eat and just be programmed to do that. And they did the thing concept with Bender, and it was just really funny, <laughs> you know. It's and, and it's they do they, yeah. yeah, and that's 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 so good where they can take those kind of huge concepts and theories and ideas and play with them and for laughs. And you know, it's good when you get good when you get that type of thing. It's a quality of of. Other stuff. I I was never that engaged with science fiction, but I felt like when people satirists or humorists or people who could write good comedy using these really lofty concepts, mm. concepts rooted in you know the the history of science fiction and a lot of like genuine kind of uh, theoretical hypotheses about what might you know what might be in store, that was always a really interesting and accessible kind of gateway if it was done right in a more of a sort of satirical sense, but like with Hitchhiker's Guide, I think with something like Red Dwarf mm-hmm. would also kind of, because that would marry, I think, a lot of the science stuff. Not so much in the show, but the books, which I actually, I think, if I'm 
going to be brutally honest, I think I always preferred a little bit because the books didn't have a BBC budget. <laughs> so the books went to some fucking insane places mm. in a way that the, I think Futurama always kind of reminded me of. Early Rick and Morty as well, I suppose, you know, some of the, you know, I, I think that some of the, the later Rick and Morty still did it, but it was perhaps less kind of frequent. I don't really remember the last season of that, but I kind of feel like it maybe kind of, it, it felt a bit less focused in that sense. But yeah, when you can actually like get someone who is a intelligent enough to understand the concepts initially and then put it into a comedy script that actually works in service to the characters that are established. There's a lot of disciplines at play there. That was always a really um, gratifying thing in Futurama. But also, you didn't really get from Futurama, which you did get from Rick and Morty fans, was people would watch Futurama and they wouldn't be like, God, you have to be so smart to get this show. <laughs> like, we really are just so... <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's a pickle. It's very elevated. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you don't have to be smart to watch Futurama. It explains it all to you like you're a child. It's wonderful. It's yeah. like, I can just enjoy watching television. It's exactly what I want out of television. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think that speaks to societal progress, I mentioned earlier a certain person who has kind of been rendered persona non grata, because of his misdeeds. But, you know, many moons ago, several decades ago, he was uh, kicked off his own show and the world was in an uproar. How could you do this? Mm. A creator fired from his own show. Not, not only that, one of the voices in the show for crying out loud, this is, you know, cancel culture gone mad. Of course, that wasn't a phrase back then, but, you know, that kind of gammony response. And that was just the sort of status quo. The Rick and Morty guy gets kicked off Rick and Morty, everyone's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> like, I, I actually think that's progress. I feel like we've come a pretty long way of like, yeah, get rid of him. I mean, this <laughs> get someone else to do the voices. Fine. It's problem solved. <laughs> you, you're really revealing how, how distance you are from Twitter now, Ben. <laughs> oh, is that now not the case? Oh, no, no. I mean, uh, you, it was, it's, is it's Twitter a, very pro Rick and Morty guy. It's polar. It, it, it it's, it's kind of, you get those people that are really kind of like, you know, venomously defending, um, you know, nothing is proven, which is a witch hunt, blah, blah, blah. All the kind of, like you say, all, all the all the words uh, tumbling out of the mouths that everyone uses nowadays um, to justify, uh, you know, consequences for actions uh, and how they're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it, it, it is. But yeah, I... I the people who I follow, it is it's pretty much tumbleweed city. It's like, oh right, okay, I might watch it. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's well, there's the thing. A lot of people I think have moved on. Yeah, like I I got why it was a big deal initially. I kind of came in pretty late to it, so I think the novelty wore off a little later with me than probably for most people who were kind of in on the ground floor. But they never, they never even made that many of them. That was the thing. It was a bit like a British show. Like they would make maybe 10 episodes every two years. So it was actually kind of hard to feel oversaturated by it. Cause I also don't watch shows a lot. Like I don't watch the same episodes of shows, shows multiple times. So yeah, I pretty much would just watch something once and then maybe a couple of years later I'd watch it again. So it never felt like I was being super inundated with like the Rick and Morty machine mm. but maybe if you were kind of like intensely a fan of it 
you did consume it that way, and so then it got you know more irritating more quickly. But I was I, I was in on it like instantly. It was all the sort of stuff you know, massive Back to the Future fan and massive animation fan and all that sort of stuff. And I was a fan of um, uh, his podcast he used to do as well, which was just it just seemed like absolute you know wild surreal kind of you know comedy where he didn't quite tell if they were being serious or not or you know in in, in much the same vein as you know david o'reilly and stuff and you had um uh it, it, it was it was incredible I, and i used to i used to absolutely uh love the episodes and really felt like you know a show that spoke to me and i really enjoyed and um all the gags landed for me and everything and then um and then season three or whichever season it was came out and all those people jumping up and down in McDonald's for the Szechuan sauce and just people start. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, hang on. These, these people are in the same club as me. This like, is this? Yeah. And then you started to find out about the fans and the way that the fans were slightly, uh, unhinged or, or, you know, a mm. certain, certain degree of not all of them, obviously, but, um, it's disappointing. <laughs> So my uh, my my experiment that I mentioned before, yes. this is what yeah, I was yeah. planning on doing. So so something I realized, and this is true, we started this podcast eleven years ago, I think. Mm. And now it's odd to think because it's an animation podcast, we never talk about the Simpsons. <laughs> I don't think ever. Uh, <laughs> Simpsons. For as much as we we have talked about the Simpsons, it has always generally been about what we remember the Simpsons to have been. And occasionally you'd show me like clips of newer things and those little like mini shorts they would do. But I haven't actually watched the Simpsons since we started the podcast. As in, I haven't watched it as a series, season by season, new episodes. Wow. I'm 10 years behind. <laughs> and to the point where like, oh, we were watching an episode the other day and i i'm like i consider this one of the new episodes like one of the episodes that are like past its prime and the date at the end of the credits was i think 2007 right like it was you know it's, a, it's archaic now but i'm like not just a little bit out of the loop with what the state of the simpsons is i'm completely out of the loop i don't know i get the impression that some people have been recast i've seen articles Stuff like Apu we talked about, because I remember when that documentary came out, you know, uh, things like that I, I picked up along the way. I have watched the show, but I've watched, when it's an old one, it's the one I liked from when I was a kid. I'll watch it, usually. Yeah. In fact, actually, there was a period not that long ago when I was just very down. Uh, some stuff happened in my personal life, and I was just watching good old Simpsons as kind of comfort food, you know. And that was kind of what instigated this of like, if I watched a new season of The Simpsons now, it would be like watching a reboot. Because basically it's been off the air as far as I'm concerned for at least a decade. Yeah. So this is what my I want my experiment to be. I want to just actually watch a new season of The Simpsons, having not seen the 10 years that preceded it. And see what impact it has on me if i'm horrified if i if maybe it's gonna be good maybe it'll you know maybe it's got so bad and then it got good again who knows i expect i'll be mostly confused when we catch snippets of newer episodes and that again they tend to be quite old now hmm. like sort of you know 2012 that kind of thing when we catch snippets of those me and laura kind of look at each other like was that the joke? I don't... <laughs> like, the timing seems off, and like it always seems like they've been weirdly edited, or maybe that's just how they're made now. 
So I'm interested in like the concept of like a, a quote unquote Simpsons reboot, a show that is essentially the same premise, how different it could be now, because I'm not going to be upset by it anymore. You know, like I've, I've made my piece years and years ago that it's never, it was never going to be the show that it was for that glorious sort of three or four year period. So here's my question. When did it get cancelled? What season did it get cancelled in your head? Was it 2007 or was it? Uh, hmm. Okay. So the, the last, I guess it would have to have been around 2012. Cause I remember that the last person other than you that I would talk about watching new episodes with was David who was still in Bristol at the time. And it was my, it was the, the very last moments of my kind of dwindling interest. And it was around the time we started this podcast. And I think that we kind of fed off each other's sort of like disdain of like, why, why do we keep watching this thing that just annoys us and disappoints us? <laughs> There's so many other shows to watch. And I think that was kind of a sobering thing. So yeah, so that would, it would be about a, a, a hypothetical 10 year hiatus. Like, um, so we're rebooting it. See how it holds up, I guess. All the treehouses of horrors have just become movie uh, uh, spoofs rather than actual horror uh, thing. We'll just do, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do the other. But yeah, Um, I'm I'm interested. I'm interested uh, to see how that's uh, formatted and and what you do with that and especially what you you have to say. Because I've started watching the new season recently after hearing all that type of stuff. And... Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like you know if it's if it's lunchtime, I'll I'll need you know twenty minutes just to kind of not be thinking about spreadsheets and emails and stuff. So I'll just stick mm. something that lasts twenty minutes on, and that's why I've been rewatching Futurama, but um, uh, rewatching the or, or watching the new newer Simpsons that are on Disney Plus or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, Ben. Yeah, okay, I will report back. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It will be, I suppose, it will probably be a bit more like a reboot having been off the air since the 90s. Yeah. Because that's the only stuff that's genuinely kind of fresh in my mind. And that stuff I mentioned that I kind of returned to, that was like season five. So that's that's the version of it that I still kind of have as fresh as can be in my memory. Like, I really remember what happens in the episodes. Well, then that's so it, the that's dynamics it. of the characters and all of that will be what I'm kind of weighing it against. But, but. also it's a different show. It's a different, it's, it, it, you know, you can't yeah. make, you can't make a sitcom in, 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 you know, 2023 as you could in 1998. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it's, mm. it's about its evolution, but you're missing out that chunk of evolution and working out what's happened in yeah. between. Yeah. Ah. Oh. I wish I was going on that journey, Ben. That sounds great. <laughs> Amazing. Well, uh, we should probably mention that there's a guest in this episode of the podcast. Oh, there is, is there? Oh, I thought this was just therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so among the uh, the uh, features playing at Annecy, of course, was Elemental, uh, new offering from the wonderful people at Pixar. Is it Pixar or Disney Pixar or... I'm sure people aren't going to go, what's he talking about? He said, just Pixar. <laughs> Who? <laughs> I suppose a very cynical take on this premise, having not really, I haven't seen the film, I haven't really done a deep dive into what it's all about. It did seem to basically be inside out, but tweaked a bit. Mm. Is that fair or horribly unreasonable? Well, unlike you, Ben, <laughs> uh, I've, I've got the press notes open up in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm doing my research as you're asking me the questions. Now, I um, I didn't get the opportunity to see it at Annecy. 
um, which is a great shame. Uh, but I, I am looking forward to seeing it because I've heard tremendous things about it. Um, it does tend to, on the surface at least, um, and we should all judge books by their cover, Ben. Obviously, that's the that's the phrase, isn't it? Um, but it's it, it, the um, the the note is what if elements if if the elements we all knew were alive. But the director Peter Sohn has taken it uh, to tell a, an immigrant story um, uh, and and to kind of go along along those lines as opposed to uh, it it simply being about the premise. I mean, none of the Pixar films are, are simply about the premise. They're about you know the, the friends we meet along the way or the buddy story or things like that. But um, uh, Peter Sohn's added this extra kind of extra layer to it, and it it feels like his film. It feels like um it, it, it you know from what i've seen through the 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 um hearing him speak about it and and reading interviews and uh, from what i heard about it at annecy this is very much the film he wanted to make he previously did the good dinosaur which is a a kind of a a film to be to be lumbered with i should say <laughs> um it wasn't originally his and he 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 had to do you know he had to do the work and finish it off and all that sort of stuff um but it is, it is a pretty good film, The Good Dinosaur. If you like your westerns, if you like your cowboy films, it's it's basically what you're watching a cowboy film, but with kind of big rubbery dinosaurs. Yeah. It's, if you get beyond that, the the landscapes that are painted and the the interactions and the journey and stuff is it's good stuff. Um, it's just not the sort of stuff that kind of gels with the side of the Happy Meal box, I think, right. uh, is why, why it didn't do too well, uh, The Good Dinosaur. Um, basically, give it another go. But um, Elemental seems to be, you know, this is this is Peter Soane's film. This is, this is, you know, all about him and, and his um, uh, his life experience. You know, he, he yeah. It, and people have said it's Pixar back on top form as well. People have been very complimentary uh, about it. Lots of other people have just reported on the fact that it's not made the money, which seems mm. to be the point of the films, that people seem to think that the point of Pixar making a film is to make, you know, billions and billions of dollars. Um, whereas when people talk about... So when people talk about the, the film from a box office sense, bad news. But when people are talking about the film from a filmmaker point of view and from a, an experience and things... They seem to be really enjoying it. Um, it seems to be ticking the right boxes, which is nice to see, um, really. Um, there's been a few hit and miss Pixar films recently and a few kind of Disney decisions which have placed certain films online and not on the big screen. Um, but this seems to be ticking the boxes where you get to see a great film on the big screen. Uh, and people are in- people are digging it. People are enjoying it. So, um, yeah, I know... Um, Ryan Gore, who uh, conducted this interview, uh, was pretty delighted by it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and Ryan, I think, also spoke with Peter uh, last year for Lightyear. Yes, yeah. For the animation one-to-ones. This time around, he got to talk to Peter with producer Denise Reem. And I believe we actually had Peter and Denise on Squiggly for The Good Dinosaur back in the day. Long ago. Over many years, that would have been, Yeah. Uh, six, seven, eight. So they're, they've been paired up before. Clearly a good uh, creative partnership there. 
Good to know. Well, uh, Ryan always does a cracking job chatting with the people behind the films. So uh, shall we go ahead and listen to Ryan's interview with Peter and Denise and uh, hear more about Elemental? Let's do it. I wanted to start just by asking you both, was that your first time in Annecy? And what did you get out of that experience this week? It was my first time in Annecy. And um, what I got out of it is I want to go back (laughs) as a festival participant and experience Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Because I think there's a lot to learn. There looked like there uh, there were a lot of ma- uh, you know I saw artwork from a lot of amazing projects. So I that that's what I learned is that I I have a lot to learn, basically. Yeah, yeah, me too. I've been there. Uh, this that was my third time, and uh, every time it, I, I just want to connect with everybody. But you know the you were moving so fast, it's so hard. Like we bumped into you. You know that was awesome. And uh, yeah. more of that, please. Yeah, definitely. Even as a journalist, I wanted to see yeah. so much and just yeah. didn't get the chance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did say to Peter on the day, I found the movie be really beautiful and really moving. Um, as someone who is descended from immigrants, I related to the story a lot. And I wanted to start by talking about Ember, yeah. this character uh, who is like a fire person. And I feel like that represented in some ways her anger. Mm. And as a child of an immigrant, in a, uh, as a minority, it's very easy to feel angry at the world. Yes. And I wanted to talk about the development of that character, mm. how you manage to balance her anger with still being like a, a likable protagonist. Yes. Um, boy, <laughs> some of the first versions, she was much angrier. Mm. And I think that was connected to some personal stuff for me. I lost my father early on. And the way my dad died was so shocking for my brother and I. And uh, the way the world was at that time, and uh, or it continues to be, I, I just reacted negatively. In this, and Ember became even more angry. She was just like an inferno. And uh, um, um, it, 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 it didn't even become a balance at that point. It was so off balance that you clearly were like, whoa, nobody's liking her. It's hard to really empathize and connect with her because the, 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 the anger, anger is so overwhelming. But yeah, it, it's just this evolution of trying mm-hmm. to find her story. And uh, you know that angry version leaned us over to this other direction that started mm-hmm. talking about her pride and her love for her family and what she was going to do in the city. And so, yeah, it was this long journey to find it. It's always hard to do that, you know, I mean, for any film, basically, kind of balancing that, the likability aspect of trying to be truthful, you know, about Mm -hmm. emotion sometimes. So, um, you know, and I do think that, you know, Leah's performance had so much to do with being able to thread that needle, you know, Pete's direction, their their collaboration with crafting the performance, but um, it's it's always a challenge, but I think she did it really a wonderful job in that regard. Yeah, and I think that challenge definitely extends to Wade, mm-hmm. who is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Someone like he's a water person. The world is literally built around him and his kind, and it's very easy for this character to feel quite ignorant and very privileged. Yes. So how is that again trying to make him a likable paramour for Ember? Yeah. Um, um, so much of this was an exercise of understanding the relationship. Um, they both had holes in their lives and then trying to see how they could fill each other up. And uh, um, uh, once, But it all stemmed around supporting Ember. Ember was our main character and knowing where she was, all of a sudden it was clear to us of in terms of what Ember needed, we could have Wade m- sh- be a mirror to show what she needed. And uh, um, that was uh, all connected to his EQ and his a ability to connect emotionally and uh, that was a little piece that she needed yeah um we actually spoke before before yes uh, during the junket for light year um yes and you mentioned 
uh, how this story was born from like this thing that you had to marry Asian and there's a <laughs> yeah. uh, blink and you miss it thing in the film yeah. where Ember's grandmother is yeah. on her deathbed and says her last, it's like your last words yeah. uh, marry fire I yeah. think I was the only person in the cinema at the time who was like <laughs> 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 ouch <laughs> um, could you talk about like the um, the very distinct and personal kind of painful yeah. aspect of the film that you managed to infuse into this very light-hearted moment in the film yeah I mean that was all about this you know this pressure that my family gave like when I was you know falling in love with other people uh, I remember clearly my grandmother in her deathbed was telling me and my brother and all our male cousins we didn't have any women in our family of uh, that generation to say like marry Korean and she passed away and it was a joke but at that time it was all heavy sort of like responsibility and then looking back on it now it's a bit more funny but yeah it was just pulling from and not only that there were so many other people on the show that also went through these similar experiences that were also sort of feeding the film right yeah that makes a lot of sense um how do you feel when a pixar trailer comes out and people are like oh it's this thing with feelings this time yeah, yeah. how does that kind of thing make you guys feel it's 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 not the way i was thinking about the film and so yeah. but i i know that the, you know you know, online people have connected to like, oh, here's another thing that they're anthropomorphizing. But it was really, it really started from this personal place and trying to find a visual way to try to tell that, you know. And uh, yes, there was a niche on, uh, in that hadn't been explored with that world of elements, but it started the other way around, which was so funny. It started with um, 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 thanking my parents who came from another place, you know. I always get, I guess, just to be very honest, a little frustrated with prejudgment. You know, and, and people judging something that they actually are seeing a, like a tiny fraction of, of what represents the movie. So, you know, but yeah, what are you going to do about it? Do you think that's kind of like Pixar have been on top and have been the dominant force in animation for mm -hmm. so long? Do you think, do, do you guys feel like a backlash to that almost? A backlash? There's definitely a lot of, you know, comments about where what the studio is doing now and mm -hmm. uh, um which is you know again a little frustrating because we're seeing all of the you know the different storytellers that are getting opportunities at the studio which is really exciting mm -hmm. you know and i find it personally very inspiring mm -hmm. you know to see the, the 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 diversity and um you know i mean i guess you know i i sort of understand it but um but you know i kind of know what's going on behind the scenes Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and as I say, the, the movie did really connect to me. And one line that absolutely tore me to shreds was this moment for Amber where she kind of realizes that there's nothing she could ever do to make up for the sacrifice that her yeah. parents made. And that destroyed me. Could you talk about finding that moment? Is that something that you had going in, or did you kind of find it in the process? Um, both. There was a seed to that understanding of the burden um, really early on, you know, and what those pressures were. And then trying to understand that, like, how can sacrifice be a burden and how do you pay that back was sort of there early on. Because then that's, what, we always had this gratitude moment at the end and that was a stepping block toward that. Mm -hmm. But to get to that place where um, um, that you have to sacri sacrifice your life too to honor it was something that came in the process as we were making it. Yeah. 
we have barely talked about the animation, which uh, I think is stunning and quite experimental, I think, for Pixar. Yeah. You have these characters that don't really have edges or endings. Yes. So could you talk about how difficult it was to get those character models right? Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, painstakingly difficult. Um, you know, and again, I always have to add that we ended up, we had to do it in isolation because mm -hmm. it was, the, you know, the pandemic hit. So we did the majority of the movie, you know, all, the designing and the look development and the majority of the animation all from home. And, but, you know, Pete gave pretty clear direction on wanting something to be exactly as you describe it, not a person on fire. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a good, okay, we know we're going on that pathway. And then it was about figuring out how to control those simulations. So you could, you know, experience the emotion and enjoyment watching them, but then still feel like fire and water. So w we started with Ember, and then we went on to Wade, and he proved the, to be the more challenging of the two characters. Uh, because of, you know, he ref refracts and reflects light and she herself is a light source. So he was constantly changing. His look constantly changed throughout the movie. So he was hard the whole, the whole film, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it was exciting because no one had yeah. made characters like that before. And so it was just, that sort of juiced a lot of these, the personalities that Pixar, meaning they all are problem solvers. And so we gave a, a challenge of like, can we do this? We haven't made these before. And they all came up, it was really fun. Yeah, we had to create a whole new pipeline. We had a whole new department. And um, and I, like the rest of the crew, was hungry for this, a really hard challenge. But it turned out to be much more complicated than we had uh, we anticipated. Yeah, I want to yeah. go more into the specifics of that, actually, because the audience is quickly <coughs> extremely nerdy about animation. Oh, really? So I'd love to know about, like, what does the typical process when designing a character at Pixar look like, and how did that have to change for this one? Yeah. Well. I mean, I'll just, because they're constantly in motion, it made it very difficult. You, we, you had to jump into the, th the, into the computer, into 3D more quickly than what I would say we were normally. We normally would spend more time drawing. Mm -hmm. But, but Pete, you, you should speak to about the... the no, no, there was, yeah. it was that, you know, to your audience members, you know, their Pixar created the first kinematic model. And so they're there, and what those AVARs are on, and how to control those characters, there's just been so many, uh, there's been a lot of roads made to make a toy or a car or a human. Uh, there were no roads for characters made out of effects. And uh, that was the big challenge. And so you start with what you know. So they started building a crude um, uh, rig that they were going to light up. And uh, um, uh, they, they were added a lot more controls um, from Hank from Finding Dory, trying to understand something that was looser so it didn't feel like it had a skeleton to it. Mm -hmm. And then once they turned on the fire, she was gosh dang terrifying. The, the, the realistic <laughs> fire is really busy and very scary and we quickly learned that we had to control it. And so there was a lot of new technology that was being built. A, a particular one, just for your audience members, is NST, Neural Style Transfer. Mm -hmm. That was something that came from Disney Zurich research groups that allowed you to do a graphic drawing and then propagate that in three dimensions through the 3D simulation. And uh, that was one of our first steps into controlling the fire that was um, um, hard to optimize, but they finally got that there. Yeah, um, I think that's all the time I have. Uh, right as I say, the movie is really gorgeous and 
it feels so great to see a movie that feels so you. Like it feels right like a very true expression. Yeah, I really connect to him. Right so thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you for talking to Squiggly. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Ryan Gore for talking to Peterson and Denise Reem, who made the film Elemental, which I believe is out now. Check it out. After chatting about it, my uh, cynical glib reductionist take on it has been subverted somewhat, so I'm going to check it out. This is why we do this podcast. It's to bring people around. We're learning and we're growing. Exactly. Well, I think we've uh, done as good a job as we can hope to do in another episode of the Squiggly Animation Podcast. Did you enjoy the summer edition, uh, 2023, Stephen? I certainly did. Um, I'm glad that uh, to have basked in the sun and to have chatted uh, the world of animation to rights again. Wonderful stuff. Well, I don't think I've got anything to plug. You've not got a film that's come online? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. So old. Yeah, I put Sunscapades online. Go on YouTube, look up Sunscapades. It's a film I made like 8 billion years ago. Uh, we did another BAM here in Bristol, Bristol Animation Meetup, a uh, little joint effort between Squiggly and our pals at Sun and Moon and Rumpus Animation. They've been going really well. I think we want to kind of keep that going. We found a really good venue. We got a lot of great feedback for the King Street Brew House. And the way they're set up, I feel as though we could do some stuff that's a bit more... If not adventurous, more involved as far as some of the people who might want to get some one-on-one FaceTime with industry personnel. I think the one potential issue about just organizing it as a big piss-up, which for people, if people don't know what I'm talking about, so this is something I kind of kicked off back in September of last year, mainly because I'd been so terrible at getting back in touch with people after COVID that I just wanted to throw one big party and have all the people I wanted to see and hadn't seen in years come. And it worked beautifully. So wrapped up as a kind of industry meetup, basically, if you work in animation or you fancy working in animation, or you're just an animation fan, it's just an animation community event that we just haven't had in Bristol for a while. Uh, so it felt like there was an appetite for it. Certainly the turnouts have indicated that there uh, is and will continue to be, I hope. But I did get a slight impression from some people who maybe uh, know some students like teachers and whatnot, that maybe some of the people who are very new to the industry don't necessarily know who to talk to. They don't quite have the faces put together with the names yet. So keep your eyes on Squiggly's event page and our various socials, along with Rumpus and Sun and Moon, because we have some other ideas planned that might be a bit more beneficial. The kind of basic idea is maybe a kind of networking thing or a sort of booking a slot for some FaceTime with people who work in an area that you might be interested in, like directors or writers or producers or whatnot. That way you'll have you know, been able to touch base. We'll do that for a couple of hours and then it'll become a piss up again. That's the idea. <laughs> that might not be the final form it takes. That's just kind of what's in my mind at the moment. But yeah, uh, look out for BAM, Bristol Animation Meetup, later in the year, possibly later in the summer. We'll see. Uh, hopefully not before too long. And yes, as you mentioned, my film Sunscapades is online now on YouTube and Vimeo. <laughs> you have to, I think, have a Vimeo account to watch it because Vimeo have flagged it as having mature content which I think is a bit of a stretch, personally, because it's <laughs> it doesn't. Like, if a coyote falling off a cliff is mature content, then my film has mature content. Immature content. <laughs> there you go. To be honest, it's nearly three films in my rearview mirror, 
it's, you know, it's something I got out of my system. It had a good festival run. I don't anticipate it setting the online world aflame, but there'll be other films. And of course, when there are, I won't be able to shut up about them on here. So, you know, stay awake. Also, uh, don't forget independent animation, developing, producing, and distributing your animated films. The second edition is available now from all good booksellers. In fact, I think there's a sale on if you buy it directly from Routledge.com. So if you're an indie animator looking for some inspiration, check that out. Right, stuff for me. Uh, math uh, call for entries is still open until the 28th of July. Uh, you can head over to Film Freeway and submit your short film, student film, commission films. That means if you've done anything you know, commercial, a music video or interstitial, we love all that sort of stuff, so send all that through. Immersive films as well. So if you've done anything in VR or interactive or something like that, uh, send that stuff through. Um, yeah, uh, send as much as you possibly can, please. Um, we also have our Industry Excellence Awards. If you're a writer, if you're a storyboard artist, if you're a uh, character animator or a character designer, we want to celebrate the people who do the day job, maybe working on those commercial films or TV series or, or things like that. So please send those in. Um, and uh, we have a special award for uh, scriptwriters, storyboard artists, um, character designers, or character animators. You nominate yourself. You can nominate teammates. Um, obviously, let them know about it. Don't make it like some big silly surprise. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's always good when we get like supervisors getting in touch and saying, "I'd love to nominate my team for this," or "I'd love to," you know, things like that. So um, that's the industry excellence award. So let's celebrate that. And as we said earlier on in the podcast, um, the winners of the short film award at MAF um, uh, in future is going to be uh, uh, the uh, go through to the Oscar long list. So yeah, very excited about that. Uh, also, uh, as of yet, I can't announce anything yet, but on the 24th of August, on the evening, uh, Math Presents is coming back. So if you want a dose of animation goodness, that's going to be taking place at home in Manchester. Um, keep your eyes peeled again on the Squiggly Events page, uh, but also on the uh, MAF uh, social media accounts at MCR Animation on most things. Um, yeah, that's me. Submit your films and then come and watch some films. Quick thing to maybe expand on with the Industry Excellence Awards, because this is something that comes up quite a bit when I talk to people that I work with or work for about it, because I'd like to try and kind of siphon people toward it. Mm. An issue that some people raise with it, and maybe you can uh, alleviate their concerns, uh, as you mentioned about supervisors, you know, uh, submitting their teams. I think that occasionally people are reluctant to put forward, say, a, a prominent character animator on a show because they worry that it's, it sends a message of favoritism to the other people on the animation team. So can people submit multiple animators yep. or potentially an entire team? Yeah, and people have as well in the in the past as mm -hmm. well. It's free to enter the industry excellence award, so people can submit on the on on behalf of themselves, or they can like you know they could submit their entire team of individuals individually, obviously, um, to 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 there. Um, you're right. Sometimes there are issues, uh, particularly from the the people above. Sometimes with with screenwriters, particularly and scriptwriters, that's mm. sometimes an issue. Um, there are particular scripts that need to go forward or have to go forward, um, but you know, it, it, we we're, we're we're open. Submit as much as as possible. Don't, um, yeah, 
get in touch with us if you if you got questions like that. We're more than happy to answer them. They can find you at ManchesterAnimationFestival.co.uk. You can find Squiggly on test social medias. Uh, we're still on Twitter as Squiggly um, at Squiggly at Squiggly Animation on Instagram and Facebook.com/slash Squiggly Magazine. Uh, also, of course, the website is squiggly.com or squiggly.co.uk, depending on how much you want to type that day. I'm on Instagram at Ben L. Mitchell and uh, facebook.com slash Ben Mitchell Creative for what it's worth. How about yourself, Stephen? Uh, I'm on Twitter still, Mr. underscore S underscore Henderson, but I'm on Instagram, uh, if you like the same six pictures, uh, at Dr. underscore S underscore Henderson because Mr. underscore S underscore Henderson have been taken. I'm not showing off. Wonderful. Well, until next season, happy animating. Happy animating.